Hi, everyone. This is the first of our ministry podcast called Reach. We will be talking about ministry-related and outreach-related topics on this podcast. And so for our first edition, we are going to talk about the principles of outreach strategies. And I think this is important as the semester schools are beginning. So uh, let's just get into it. We all agree that we have certain intuitions about what works in outreach, but often we fail to identify uh, what principles were at play and what were the context-specific factors that made it successful. And often we think, okay, well, that worked over there on that campus and in that city, and we just indiscriminately borrow that strategy. And often it doesn't work because it turned out to be very context-specific. And by that, I mean based on the city or campus or team or time of day. So what makes then an outreach activity successful? And it turns out that there are several factors that are needed for some event to be effective and often what works has to do with the convergence of many if not all of these factors that need to work perfectly for an outreach activity to stand a chance. So I wanted to go over these principles which I incidentally called REACH. Uh, R for roster, E for example uh, of a student profile, A access to campus, C uh, stands for city and campus opportunities and H is here as in here is where we're going to meet the location or venue. So let's go over these. Uh, first, the roster. I think brainstorming for an event starts with whether or not it's the right fit for your team. Does the outreach activity that you're planning fit with the overall team strengths? Another way to put it is that does it minimize your team's weaknesses? We might be shy about doing this, but outreach activities should showcase somewhat a member of uh, member or team strengths. Now, if you know baseball, there are nine players and the team's managers uh, draw up what's called a lineup. He orders the players from one to nine. And it's interesting how the game has evolved. Before, your best hitter would hit number three or four and would stay uh, that way the entire season. But now, depending on the matchups against the other teams, the best hitter may not even play that day. Or they may be number eight or number nine in the lineup, generally reserved for the worst players because the best player might be going through a bad stretch, uh, what's called a slump. So the point is that the manager is keen on how each player is doing on even a day-by-day -day basis, and it's driven by data. If a player, uh, even if he's your best one, is not doing well, that's what the statistics show, then he's going to ask him to move to the number eight or number nine slot to mask their deficiencies. Now, if a manager is keenly aware of their ba a baseball roster, I was just thinking, how much should we take pains to think about uh, how to put each member of our team's best foot forward, uh, maybe even maximizing their strengths and minimizing their weaknesses. And depending on the situation, maybe one day uh, one person will be front and center, like if you're doing volleyball outreach, and then in another setting, you might be doing chess or some brainy board games and others will get to shine. So I think that's the key. Now, I recently heard about a team that wanted to do sports outreach uh, each day. Now that made sense. I understood why they came up with that because the campus that they're on is a sporty school, but their team was not necessarily sporty. And one of them who was, was in fact injured. So uh, they say that first impressions are big. So it's possible that they would attract these athletic people. And within one minute, I think they would discover that this team doesn't know how to play. Now, um, you have, uh, so then at, at that point, you have you have a poor first impression. Uh, whereas, let's say they did chess outreach, giant chess board, giant chess pieces, 
and then maybe the members of this team would have a chance to showcase some of their strengths. And it sounds like we're advantaging just the more talented ones in our ministry, but that's not necessarily what I'm saying. I believe that every member has something that they can showcase. Um, you know, for example, are they artistic? Why not showcase some of their paintings or drawings at an event so that this can be like a talking point if they begin to notice, oh, like, wow, what's this decoration? Oh, yeah, actually, I, I actually drew that. Uh, I remember another bro who was a particularly good artist and had paintings of his work all over his apartment. I, I thought, man, he usually looks stern on the outside, sort of intimidating. But if a student got to see this, I guess, quote, softer artistic side, then the student might actually be impressed. And maybe that would be a window into their personality and life that the student might want to actually get to know. So again, just uh, going over a variety of different things that a team member can offer, good at cooking. I mean, why not have that person bake some cookies or bring something to an event? If a team itself or a person is hospitable, why not create an uh, environment that showcases that? So again, going back to my point about the first impression, the way you go in for an interview, you know, you put on makeup, you put on the sharp clothes because it matters. And in terms of outreach, uh, that may be the difference between a student coming back or not. So let's face it, students do initially look for the superficial qualities that may draw a person to another. Now, years ago, I remember several undergrads were so impressed with Joe Wang's uh, imposing size and then his ability to kick a football 40 yards and it's just his manliness, if you will, was probably the reason he has success in pro's ministry. Now, uh, I'm not saying that's the only reason, but um, this is not a surprise. Of course, it's human nature. We tend to follow those we are impressed by. And yes, we are talking about superficial qualities, but that's initially. Uh, and then it's a chance for them to get to know you and then eventually share the gospel with that person. And so when we accentuate these qualities, these strengths through an outreach event, um, I think it actually only will help uh, the overall like effectiveness of that event. And in some ways, like if you do that, like it, I don't think it's any different than offering free pizza, for example. So our purpose is to put the best foot forward so that we would eventually have a chance to share the gospel. So why not then highlight someone's strengths or the team's strengths? So try it. Ask your team to share or have someone share on their behalf what they're good at. And we did it with the CPIs here out in Boston. It turns out that Wellesley, the members of the Wellesley team, all enjoy teaching and in fact speak well, which usually goes hand in hand. They can describe things well. And one of the sisters, it turns out, uh, wants to go into teaching as a career. Another one, uh, it was a commencement speaker at their college graduation. Another shared their testimony at RISE, our national collegiate conference. Another is a particularly a good Bible teacher. So, uh, wow, this is an amazing convergence of one particular skill. So what would you do then with this group? I suggested, why not advertise Big Sis, Little Sis and advertise Christian mentorship? And once you get that, they will be in a context where they can succeed. I think they'll be good at mentoring and sharing DT and doing Course 101. So then we told them to take a really nice portrait shot and then write a brief bio that would feature some of their qualifications and put it up on the web. So um, that's our roster. Now E example, that is a typical or example uh, example of a student who would attend that particular campus. And so what's their profile? Why did they choose that school? And I would try and describe it in a sentence. Certain schools attract certain caliber of students or certain a certain type of student. And we need to make sure that we are tapping into their inherent uh, desire or ambition or whatever drive that they might have. Uh, an example of this is Babson, a small private school here in the greater Boston area. It turns out people go there because of their entrepreneurial program. And what caught my eye was 
was this aspect. And so I asked the team who's going there, anyone have a background in it? And one person said, yeah, he majored in CS and minored in entrepreneurial management. So I asked some questions and then he suggested, why not do a pitch contest where you pitch your business model or idea? And I thought, wow, there's something there. Why not come up with an activity that can highlight someone's creativity and savvy? And maybe their school has such a challenge already, like a pitch challenge. So then if that's the case, we can even offer some mentorship on how to improve their pitch challenge to help them, as long as, of course, it's clear that we're a Christian group. So that's an example of an outreach event being derived from the example of a typical student. So again, going back to the Wellesley College example, why not pitch your qualifications that show that you're a go-getter and pitch that to the students who are there presumably to make their mark. After all, this is where Hillary Clinton went. So then the mentorship, I think, might work there. In thinking about an example student or classic profile of a student, you also need to think about the demographic of the students attending your school. How many are Asian, African-American, white among the Asians? How many are Filipino or Korean or Chinese? I think this will help you decide what foods to offer at an event, what type of event may appeal based on their culture. How many are from out of state? If many are from out of state, what state are they from? Maybe you can pitch to that one area. Let's say everyone is from Texas. Um, and as you know, everyone is proud of their states from Texas. So you say, we're gonna have a Texas barbecue hangout. And I think that might work. And so that's what I mean by E, for example. A for access to campus. Uh, is it open to the public? Um, what, are, what are opportunities uh, near and around the campus? And it doesn't matter if um, we get the outreach activity right and it fits the team and the strengths of the team and, and it fits the campus if we can't find a way to access it, especially as a non-RSO. So I would really encourage you to learn about your school. What are some potential inroads? Don't assume that you already know. Uh, an example of this is Tufts University uh, here in Boston. It turns out it's a friendly to the community and it's given unprecedented access to the community, even allowing them to attend Welcome Week movie night. Now, um, and so we found out this and, and I go, why? Why are they so open to the community? And it turns out that where Tufts is located is a provincial town. It's in the Medford, Somerville area. Its red residents have been around for a long time and over the years, they have gotten uh, annoyed that Tufts is pretty much taking over, even receiving calls if they're willing to sell their house. And I think that makes sense then why Tufts is taking deliberate measures to reach out to the community because they have such negative publicity. So if that's the case, we have some unparalleled access to the campus for a private school. And then as you research more, it turns out their library is open to the public and there are other venues that are open to the public and the, just the general ethos of being open to the community and in and around the campus. And we can take advantage of that. Um, other schools might not be as open uh, and accessible. Brandeis is another small private school. It's on a hill and it's harder to access the campus, but maybe there's one area on that campus that you can access. For example, dining hall is open to the public. so. Um, so we need to find out. And what if you can't find any inroads onto the campus? Maybe you can then search for areas outside in the public. I think as a non-RSO, that would be uh, probably wise to do that. Like at Harvard, for example, there is Harvard Square where it's located and it's really popping place. A lot of restaurants, a um, lot of stores. And uh, we encourage our team to come up with a QR code and a large poster that's um, publicizing our Sunday service. Uh, and so we put that poster on an A-frame if anyone is looking for a church and then we strategically put them in these public spaces as long as it's not too obnoxious. And we had um, a couple of CPIs stand there and then combine it with some other 
um, activity, like you can get a Polaroid shot or something. So uh, we strategically put these frames in and around area where there's high traffic and it's around the most popular cafes and bookstores. And if you're a parent looking for a church for your child or you're the student yourself, I think you'll be clear that you'll run into this poster that we're offering a Sunday service and it's all on the public area. Uh, Wellesley also has a strip, a street where a lot of students frequent in public areas because that's the only thing around there. So we can publicize, um, ask the restaurants if we can put posters up there and do events like um, check out the ice cream shop there. And often it's not even coming up with your own outreach activities, just tapping tap into what's there. So, um, okay, so C. A city and campus opportunities. Each place or city has something inherent to it that you would want to check out. If not, then your home becomes that place, of course. But if you live near a metropolis like LA, Chicago, New York, Boston, then students would want to go there if given an opportunity. But the issue here is that if you don't think that through, uh, whether you're doing something uh, like what, why you're coming up with that activity, you might just simply to be doing that because it worked in a previous city and so there you might have the following problem recently i found out in someone's planning doc that they were doing food tours out in boston and that stood out to me because i get that okay food tours i think what student doesn't like food but students may not find that necessarily appealing if the food in your city is bad or mediocre. I asked this person, do you find Boston's food good? And he said, well, nothing particularly stands out. So if it, nothing particularly stands out to you, probably nothing particularly stands out to others. So why would you want to do a food tour? And he didn't have an answer. And it turns out it's because it, it worked in Austin. Of course, Austin, it's a culture where food is um, like that's what people want that's the vibe of the city of austin such that it probably favors something like a food tour everyone loves food there it's like part of the culture barbecue and food trucks and it's not just barbecue food trucks but um, chinese noodles and all sorts of things and and it's on top of that it's not very accessible to the student you need a ride to get there so when we were there back in 08, uh, we took people to Snow Beach, a snow cone place, uh, also Gordo's, a giant savory donut place, and students would want someone to take them there. And so um, gladly, like that kind of an activity, um, like we were glad to take them there and it was very effective. At UCLA, it's Diddy Reese ice cream sandwich cookies. So if you have something like that in your city, yeah, please take advantage of that. However, another aspect you need to consider is if a student actually needs you to take them there. I mean, in Boston, we have the T or the main subway and they can get anywhere and doesn't need you to chaperone them. But in Austin, like I mentioned earlier, the students needed you to drive. So we need to think about that as well. Um, related to this, my pet peeve is the target run. You know, I'm sure somewhere someone tried this and it was successful and I can see that I'm a parent of an incoming student. I probably forgot a thing or two when I'm moving my daughter into the dorm. So after the parent leaves, okay, I can see someone saying, oh man, I forgot this. I need this at Target. But that was back in the day. Nowadays with Amazon and a myriad of delivery services, I'm not sure if this is a felt need. Also again in Boston, you can get to Target just by walking there or taking the subway. And then you factor in the fact that people are wary of getting into cars because of COVID. And so um, I think that might not actually work well. So again, it has to be whatever activity you're doing, it has to be city specific and is it accessible? Um, and yet, even though like this seems obvious to everyone listening now, it was there in the welcome week activity schedule, the target run on one of these ministries. So what stands out in your city? 
or the nearest large city in Boston, more than a food tour, I asked like, what stands out? What's specific to Boston? And it would be a historical tour, the Freedom Trail that gives you uh, like a long walk around uh, the different sites like Paul Revere's house, the site of the Boston Massacre, the grave areas of John Hancock. It's an amazing tour if you kind of know what you're doing. And so Boston is a historically rich city, not particularly known for great food. So please be careful when you're designing your outreach event that as much as you highlight the strengths of your team, you're also highlighting the strengths of your city. And then look at in and around what's around campus. What's opportunities there? Tufts University has Davis Square. It's a it's a place for uh, like a lot of restaurants. It's a mile walk from campus and our team assumed that we shouldn't do activities out there because it's too far, but found out from a Tufts A2CN mentee that most students have no problem walking there. In fact, they want to go to Davis Square. And so doing a board game night over there is a definite possibility. It's a poppin' over there. So a lot of eateries and, uh, and such so that a place uh, that's a place that you can have an outreach event. So you're taking advantage again of the campus and city opportunities that are around there. So finally, H is here. What's the location? Where are you going to have this? What's the venue? Because you can get everything else right. The roster, tailored or making it to the student and the, the campus, and you don't have a meeting place that's adequate, that's accessible, then the outreach event is not going to take off. And you can have access. You can get the outreach activity right, but that still won't matter, again, if you don't have the proper place to meet. So back in Texas, our first year, we had sports and shaved ice at LBJ Lawn. That's Lyndon B. Johnson Lawn, not LeBron James. But um, we did it, and uh, on the on the map, it looked close when I saw it uh, on the campus map. But what, what I underestimated was the weather. It was so hot, 100 degrees with humidity, and the place actually seemed further than I had initially thought because it was sort of out of the way of the main thoroughfare. So that was a lesson I learned. I think venue is probably one of the most important factors for a success of an event. You need to walk the campus. You need to figure out where are the main areas that the students frequent. Does it feel far? Um, I think the only way you find out is if you walk it. So at Tufts, there was a cafe nearby and across the street where the students frequent. It turns out uh, it closed at 2 p.m. So when we asked if we could rent it, they said yes. So, wow, it never hurts to ask. And that turns out to be a very ideal location. All the students know that cafe and it's on the smaller side, 30 to 40, and that might be okay. But again, it depends on whether you think more will come given the accessibility location of the camp uh, of this event. I think more will, so we're looking for a larger venue like the cafe across the street. So venue, again, here's some questions to ask. What's the atmosphere? How accessible is it? Is it spacious? Is it there? Is there a high ceiling? Is there parking? If you're going to do an outdoor event, is it too conspicuous or too hidden so people won't know about it or think something shady is going on over there? If it's too conspicuous on campus, then don't do anything on campus. Go off campus. Go to the public areas, the nearby parks and closer cafes, the restaurants, other churches. Maybe there's one space on campus that is open to the public. So in other words, you have to do your research and can mean a world of difference if you get the right space. So that's the quick summary of REACH. Uh, I know a lot of this seems intuitive, but unless you break it down, you don't know why you're planning, what you're planning. And often my experience is that people fail to adequately think about each of the factors above. But when they do and you optimize each of these uh, areas, then I think you actually have a chance for a successful outreach event. So I'll keep thinking about this too. We are all learning, of course, uh, as you plan. Um, uh, hopefully um, you will also pray because even if everything 
uh, can be optimized, it still might not work. So we also need to pray. So looking forward to how God will work this semester and quarter. Excited for all that God will do. And that's it for this first edition of the Reach Podcast. See you next time.